0: Hey, everybody. This is a first out of the hundreds of episodes of The Breakdown. This is the first time I've ever recorded an episode in my mother's house. (laughs) As you may know, my mother is in the hospital here in Georgia. I traveled down to be with her. I went to the hospital yesterday and was able to get updates, but they don't even allow you in the room to see the patients. And so I brought all of my equipment with me, and I'm going to record today's episode And there's a lesson that I want to teach you that I've taught before that I think is maybe the most important lesson I could teach you in light of what's happened to George Floyd, to Ahmaud Arbery, to Breonna Taylor. It's about how the systems and structures of mass incarceration work. I've had literally thousands and thousands of you write me, DM me, email me, call me, text me, and say, Sean, what exactly can we do? And over the next three days, we're going to lay out action steps and action items for all of you. But today I need to go back to my roots as a teacher, and I'm going to play a throwback episode of the breakdown where I teach you how these systems are built. Because listen, we can't tear it apart we can't deconstruct it. We can't be abolitionist if we don't actually understand the systems that we're trying to tear down. Like, today I'm going to teach you the architecture, the design. And I'm teaching one major point. And that point is that there's not one system of mass incarceration, one system of policing, it's actually 30,000 microsystems. Let me break it down. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The Breakdown. The, the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. If you're listening to The Breakdown, chances are you want to reform the thing that most people call the criminal justice system. Now, in this community of of dreamers and reformers and abolitionists, we're beginning to call it the legal system instead of the criminal justice system because it's not really just, and everybody who enters into it is not a criminal. I don't even know that anybody is a criminal. People commit crimes. But when we call it the criminal justice system, we immediately are framing it in a way that is problematic. But whatever you call it, whatever we call it, I need us to understand a bigger point. And that point is this. It's not one system. And because it's not just one big system with one set of rules, with one set of laws, with one CEO, but instead is 30,000 microsystems each with their own set of rules and policies, because of that, it can't be reformed or overhauled or even just torn down in one fell swoop. To change this system, it has to be changed in many instances. One jail, one prison, one police department, one sheriff's office, one DA's office, one town, one city, one county, one state, one law at a time. And I think that that is both great news for us and also absolutely horrible news for us all at the same time. It's great because while we might not be able to change the whole system at once, we are strong enough to change parts of it piece by piece, department by department, person by person, law by law. Our organization, Real Justice, has helped to elect brand new district attorneys in Philadelphia, in St. Louis, in Boston, in San Antonio, and in so many other cities and counties across the country. And those DAs are changing the game. We are able to do that because our organization set very specific goals We joined other organizations on the ground who share those goals, and we helped flip those positions over to women and men who are determined to change the game from the inside out. Organizations and activists across the country are now targeting individual police departments, individual jails, and they are seeing some progress. So the great news is this. If you are determined and organized enough, you can change these microsystems in very substantive ways, and it will impact tens of thousands of lives. I have friends, for instance, who chose, and I I know this is going to make you cringe, who chose to work with the Trump administration so that they could change these microsystems in the federal government. Now, while, while only about 7% of all people that are incarcerated are currently in federal prisons, my friends have been able to help over 3,000 men and women be set free from federal prison in the past few months alone, all because of the First Step Act. Now, that's great news. And that's what happens when we focus and act on the microsystems. We can change them but let me break down the systems that we have, all right? Let me break this down. Break it down. down. We have 1,719 state prisons. We have 109 federal prisons. We have 1,772 juvenile correctional facilities. That's what they call them. 3,163 local jails, and we have 80 different Indian country jails, as well as about 100 military prisons and immigration detention facilities. What that means is that we have about 7,000 jails and prisons in this country. Now we have 12,501 police departments. We also have about 3,000 county sheriff's offices, And we have about 2,500 other police departments, and those include campus police departments on college campuses, state police departments, and other law enforcement agencies. And that means we have about 18,000 different law enforcement agencies nationwide. You've probably heard me say this before, but we have about 2,400 district attorneys. These are the locally elected prosecutors, and in some places... You may call them county attorneys. Some people call them the state's attorney. Either way, about 93% of all court cases are funneled through those 2,400 offices. You've probably heard me say this recently, that of the 2,400 district attorneys, just 150 of them cover over 50% of all people who are incarcerated. So let me do the math on those total numbers of all the systems. We have 2,400 DAs plus 18,000 different law enforcement offices, and we have 7,000 jails and prisons. That means we have about 27,400 different legal systems operating concurrently all over the country. And if we add to that number all the different additional local, state, and federal agencies that fall outside of those three main categories of local district attorney's offices, local law enforcement offices, and local jails and prisons, we end up with about 30,000 different law enforcement agencies and offices that are operating all over the country. And what we've learned is that we have federal laws, state laws, but we also have county laws and city laws and policies. For instance, in the city of Atlanta, which is actually, and I lived in Atlanta for nearly 20 years, Atlanta is really just one small circle, the city of Atlanta proper. It's one small circle in the much bigger map of metropolitan Atlanta which is about 15 different counties combined. In the city of Atlanta, it's now legal, just in that small bubble, to possess a tiny amount of weed in your pocket. But if you take that tiny amount of weed to the next city or the next county over, which is still technically considered metro Atlanta, but is not a formal part of the city of Atlanta, you will have broken the law. If you take that same weed to the airport and it's discovered, you will have broken federal law because weed is still illegal federally. You see, just traveling around Atlanta with a little weed in your pocket is a highly complicated thing because we don't have one system, but we have tens of thousands of smaller legal systems. Now let me show you and this is the horrible news, all right? But I need us to be able to wrap our minds around this. Let me show you just how complicated it truly is. The break. The, the, break, the, 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 the break. The break down. The United States has 51,200 judges. Over 51,000 different judges on the local, state, and federal level. And as you likely saw in the Amber Geiger case, each judge can run their courtroom in wildly different ways. While each judge has local, state, and federal laws to consider, they have huge leeway in how to run that court and how to interpret those laws we have over 1 million law enforcement officers across local, state, and federal departments. And as we've seen, each of them, one by one, interpret policies and laws in their own unique ways. I said all of that to say this. We can't solve a problem that we cannot describe. We can't solve a problem If we don't really even know the equation, we can't solve a problem if we truly don't know how to describe it, who's in it, who's involved. If we don't fully have our mind wrapped around all of the factors in the problem, how can we solve it? Today's episode of The Breakdown is sponsored by Blinkist. And I love getting to brag on Blinkist because it's truly become one of my favorite apps. It's going to sound impossible, but they take the best books in the world and break down their main ideas for you in about 15 minutes, giving you the time to read and learn faster than ever. My wife and I both love Blinkist, and it makes our lives so much simpler. In their library, Blinkist has one of my favorite books in the world. It's called Locking Up Our Own, it's written by James Foreman Jr. I highly recommend that you check it out. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books. All the books you want, all for one low price. And right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. If you go to Blinkist.com breakdown, you can try it free for seven days and save 25% off of your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash breakdown. You can start your free seven-day trial, and you'll also save 25%, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash breakdown. Check it out.
1: Hey, I'm Lissandra, and I work on all of the North Stars podcasts. As part of our weekly Woman Crush Wednesday series, the North Star is honored to highlight another woman of color who's using her voice to change the world for the better. This week, we're highlighting anti-gun violence activist Mei-Ling Ho-Shing. Mei-Ling was just 17 years old when a gunman entered her high school in Parkland, Florida, killing 17 people and injuring 17 others. Like many of her classmates, Mei-Ling turned her trauma into activism. She began speaking out about the effect that school shootings had on her community and how the community's response could impact students of color. In the weeks and months after the tragic school shooting, Mailing made it a priority to make it known that she was not only fighting against school shootings, but gun violence in general. I need to bring it up, she told WUSA 9. Because for decades, African-Americans and Latinos have been fighting gun violence. It's not just Parkland. We salute Mei Ling for her commitment to end gun violence and for turning resilience into resistance. Be sure to visit our Instagram page at the North Star Media to learn more about Mei Ling and why we're crushing on her and her amazing work.
0: now we need to be able to dig deeper much deeper and describe the problem we need to be able to describe it so much better so that we can work to solve the problem that we're actually up against today I just wanted to teach a little bit and to do this overview because over the next few months I'm going to lead us in some ways to help us take some action steps, to help us proactively address some of these big challenges. Because when we started this podcast, we started it not just to change the news, but to change the world. Break it down. Break Break down.